Taste to Consider Podcast. I'm back. It's your boy. <laughs> it's your boy. Rip, aka Rip. Derek Silver. Back for another episode. I'm on my regular mic tonight. I forgot to charge my good mic. I'm sitting here hooking the mic up and stuff, and I'm like, man, why the blue light ain't on? So I keep, I'm clicking the button, clicking the button, clicking the button, the joint ain't coming on. I'm like, damn. So I looked at it, I was like, damn, I left the joint on from the last time I recorded. So I turned it back over, I'm looking at, it got four screws on. I'm like, damn, I gotta open this thing up and uh, change the battery or something. And as small as the little compact is that controls the microphone, I'm like, damn. I probably ain't got no battery this size. And the whole time, I done looked at the side of the little console on the mic, and they got a charger put on there the whole time. And I forgot when I first bought the mic, like sometime earlier this year, I think it was, I charged the mic before I used it, and I haven't had a reason to charge it since. So... This is like the first time I had to charge it since I got it. Now I was going to try to hold out and wait for it to charge up enough for me to use it. But I was like, nah, let me go ahead and record while I'm in the mood now. I was already pre-gaming and stuff, already had a drink and stuff. So I was just going to have to do with this regular mic. Hopefully, you know, the sound is it's good. Let's go ahead and start the show. Go ahead and start the show for you. Taste to consider podcast back again. Let's go. It's a taste to consider podcast. I'm your host, Dirk Silver, and I'm back, back for another episode. It's Wednesday night, November 25th, Thanksgiving Eve, back for another episode. Uh, decided to record the night. Pre-Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Eve, day off tomorrow, chill with the family, had some good eats. Um, got a good show for you, um, outline some good topics, so we'll see how they go once I go through them. It always changes, changes up once I go through the outline, write it out, and go through the topics and stuff. I got all these thoughts in my head. I'm I'm even, I'm even, you know, talking to myself, well, not talking to myself, well, you know, kind of like rehearsing and stuff, saying my points and all that other stuff, but it don't never go that way once <laughs> the show starts for real, for the simple fact that I be forgetting stuff, and two, I'm pre-gaming, having a drink or two before I record, so, you know, you just never know how the show is going to go, but... Like I said, Thanksgiving Eve. First, I want to give a shout out to all the listeners, all the fans, uh, domestic, international, um, shoot, all the people who listen to me on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, 
all the people who support me on social media, uh, Instagram, um, people who follow me on Twitter. Uh, Twitter, is, my Twitter handle is habitual line stepper. Habitual line stepper. Yeah, and uh, on Instagram, it's a taste to consider podcast, as well as greatest.i.am.blog. Make sure you check out my blog, greatestiamblog.com. I'm going to be having some new stuff coming to you soon. And I want to give another shout out to my man Littles, a.k.a. Rodney. His birthday is tomorrow, Thursday, November 26th. And I will also want to give a shout out to myself because my birthday will be Monday, 11.30, November 30th at 9.27 a.m. <laughs> 9.27 a.m. But, um, yeah, so we're in the, the beginning of the, you know, festive holiday times, you know, it's, it's going to be a little different this year because of covid and all that, but still a lot to be a lot to be thankful for, and I know um, despite you know all the bad stuff that's been going on, all the stuff that's that's been out of our control this year, you know celebrity deaths, um, deaths from COVID, and you know just any other disease, old age has been a it's been a tough year, all the stuff going on with the election. You got the um, black people st- still getting killed by the police and stuff. Black people still getting harassed by, you know, um, white people, stuff like that. It's been a tough year. But honestly, for me, this this has been a, a real good year for me, um, despite the stress, you know, from the uh, killings, Black people getting killed and stuff like that. Um, I haven't been bothered at all too much by the um, COVID, um, cause I'm I'm already used to staying in the house, so it wasn't a big deal to me. Um, I did an episode on it earlier this year. Uh, I forgot the name of the damn episode. Um, living in quarantine or something like that. <laughs> I think that was like back in February or March when I recorded that episode. But yeah, so I'm I'm definitely thankful for, you know, um, this year. Thankful that I was still able to work during the COVID stuff, that I was able to telework, work from home throughout the whole period. Um, I actually went into work uh, probably a couple of weeks ago to meet um, a new a new uh, boss. But other than that, I've been working at home the whole time, and I've been loving it. I mean, this working working from home is is what I'm meant for. <laughs> As being a person who likes to, you know, stay to himself, uh, kind of introverted, I deal with my social anxiety and stuff like that. My intro, me being an introvert has something to do with so the social anxiety. So. I was stuttering right there because I had to remember because, like, me going to therapy and stuff like that, my my former therapist, she used to always say I need to stop saying my my social anxiety, my depression, my anxiety and stuff like that, you know, because it, that's not who I am, you know. That's just something that I'm, I'm dealing with. So, um, yeah, 
social does social anxiety the intro being being in a I don't even know how I frame <laughs> frame it right but yeah the the stuff that I'm still be working on trying to frame certain uh things that I say about me in a way that I'm not labeling myself and owning it you know because if you if you label yourself something like that and you you gonna you gonna own it you know that's how you're gonna look at your own self and I've looked at myself a certain way for years because I kept labeling myself things and and owning it so yeah, I'm still, that's something I'm still working on, you know, got to learn how to uh, affirm myself more positively and uh, validate myself. That's something that me and my current therapist has been working on, validating myself even more. Um, so, yeah, I've definitely been thankful for being able to work from home the whole time. Um, I've gotten two raises since I've been uh, this year. Um, one hell of a raise due to uh, me getting a job offer and my current job not wanting to let me go. So that was a great thing. Um, I have a a great house that I live in, got a car, I'm able to pay my bills. You know, I'm thankful. Um, my health is good. Um, shoot, podcast going good, blog going good. Um, still and therapy that's that's going good uh was able to find a a good therapist after me and my uh former therapist decided to go our separate ways mm, excuse me uh burp number one a lot of time that i got to spend with myself and um just to learn more things about myself um good and bad but the bad still being good for the simple fact that I'm aware of it now and it's things that I can discuss with my therapist and work on myself. Um, shoot. It's just a lot of things I, I'd be thinking before. I get I still get to uh, spend time with my parents every Sunday and, and stuff like that. Um, it's, I got a lot of things to be thankful for. I can go on and on for that. But, um, you know, despite everything that's been going on this year, it's still a lot to be thankful for and I'm definitely um, focusing on that. My drink for tonight is uh, Maker's Mark uh, whiskey. And the cigar that I have is a Perdermo. Um, what's this? Perdermo uh, Lot 23 Toro cigar. Um, I haven't even sparked it up yet. I'm not sure if I'm going to smoke it or not. Um, I probably just chill and wait on that. Um, yeah, so like I said, I shouted myself out for my birthday, and I ain't gonna lie, I'm about to turn 39, and although I got, you know, like I already said, I got some a lot of things to be thankful for and stuff, but I, I still, you know, you know, you go, you grow up as a as a child teenager and all that other stuff you got certain goals in mind and you you look at it like you know this is where you want to be by this age and stuff like that and that's that's that goes off of you know uh society and how society tries to tell you where you should be in your life instead of you just you know following your own path so I remember being young and saying to myself by the time I'm 25 I wanted to have a house and 
this type of car. I wanted to be married and have kids. Because when you're younger, you look at, at, at you know, those type of ages, like 25 and stuff, you think that's old. But when you get there, you're like, damn, I'm still young as shit. So, like, even me, um, I'm 38 now. I'll be 39 uh, Monday. You know, I do not feel 39. I definitely don't look 39. And, and it... And there's no way that I'm I'm still having like trouble believing that I'm about to turn 39 years old. <laughs> it's hard for me to accept that I'm about to turn 39 years old because I definitely don't I don't feel that way. I don't feel that way. I definitely don't look that way. And like recently, I talked to my therapist and I was just like, you know. I'm I'm feeling like I'm almost having like a type of bit like crisis type situation. I'm about to turn 39 and like I'm not married. I don't have kids yet and stuff like that. And I ain't going to lie. I'm like legit scared that like it might not happen. <laughs> I'm legit scared it might not happen. But at the same time, you know, I'm glad I'm not married and I don't have kids. When I when I when I said that I I was going to have them for the simple fact of the mental space that I was in. And like, I would have ruined a marriage. I would have ruined kids. I really would have. The type of mental state that I was in, in in my early 20s, mid 20s, late 20s, I didn't start getting to a point where I I um really got to a, a self-awareness of me having a, a mental struggle as far as depression and anxiety and stuff until I turned 30 years old. And that's when I first moved into my house. That was the first time I ever lived by myself. Like that was the legit, you know, the legit time where I actually had to really be by myself. I, I'm still learning a lot. You know, it's only it's only been eight years. It's literally only been eight years since I've been on my own. And I'm about to turn 39. So it's like so much that I'm still learning, so much that I haven't learned yet. And that's when I, you know, received my spiritual awakening. That's when I, you know, started to really address a lot of the mental struggles when I actually got on my own. Despite the fact that, you know, when I... Before I got my house and before I was living on my own, I was still living with my folks and I was in college and stuff and I was saving up money to get my house and thanks to my parents for allowing me to still live there to save up the money to get my house, you know, Um, because a lot of black parents won't do that. (laughs) But, you know, I'm grateful to them for that. But, you know, despite, you know, even when I was still living with my parents and before, you know, I was like considered an adult and stuff, I was still like um, on my own to a degree as far as um, I didn't really have an outlet or I didn't have, you know, I didn't, I, I discussed this on previous episodes and stuff. I didn't have my parents to really like give me like emotional, um, emotional or mental um, stability and stuff like that. So being on my own, it was like it exacerbated itself. You know, it was like it went beyond the fact of me like, damn, I'm on my own now. I got to make sure I I pay these bills. I got to make sure I 
um, clean the house up. I got to make sure I do this and do that. And it's a struggle when you're dealing with depression and anxiety because a lot of times when you're depressed or you're anxious, you don't have motivation and stuff. You lack motivation. Um, you try to um, find happiness and and things that you was missing like love and emotional stability, mental stability and stuff like that through through things outside of of yourself and stuff. So it was like I was ne- I was neglecting a lot of things when it came to uh living on my own and uh having a house and stuff like that. Like and even the fact when um I was laid off back in uh 2016 and stuff like that. I'm thankful for that, for the simple fact it wouldn't be no podcast, it wouldn't be no blog or anything like that if it weren't for me being laid off. But um, that was kind of like the 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 full, the final exam, so to speak, from as far as me testing myself as far as how how strong I can be and, you know, my testing my faith and my faith in God and stuff like that, my faith in myself and stuff. So, yeah, it's been interesting. Um, You know, like I said, I still have I have fears like I I, I'm going to do like shows on this in the future. But I I have fears about I've I've had fears about being um, a father and stuff like that, Um, you know, not wanting to pass on certain things to my kids and stuff like that or worried about if I was going to be a good father or not and stuff like that and just just other outlandish things that people would think is outlandish but in my mind is 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 something normal but it's based off of my anxiety and you know my 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 um trying to frame it right um i'll just keep it at my anxiety but i i I promise you i will do a future show about it because i already have it written down and i'm working on it those type of shows when i when i go like in depth on stuff like um i am all i need and i i'm persevering and stuff like that when i'm like vulnerable vulnerable those shows take a little time for me for the simple fact that i really have to sit down and and like have to evaluate a lot of things that I'm going to say as far as um, being as open as open as I can for the simple fact that I want to make sure that I help everybody. And then sometimes it's it's tough just reliving certain things and, and certain things. And usually when I go back and 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 relive certain things i i learn things as well or i see things that i didn't see back then and stuff so it can be um it can be tense at times it can be very tense at times but i definitely enjoy those shows even though sometimes i get embarrassed about doing them and stuff i do enjoy it um but yeah. So with all that being said, let me get into um something that ties into all of that, which is um let me see. Seasonal depression. 
Um, seasonal depression, also known as seasonal affective disorder. I did a show about it, uh, I think season one I did, but I mean, it comes around every year, specifically at this time, the fall, winter months. And this year, a lot of uh, doctors and stuff saying that this year will be um, very difficult and it will be, you know, It'll be a, a a more difficult time for a lot of people for the simple fact that we have the the pandemic going on and a lot of people going to be stuck in the house that aren't used to being stuck in the stuck in the house and you know even before the start like the start of uh, the pan pandemic and stuff like that the vo divorce rates was going up and domestic violence and stuff like that so this is definitely a, a tense time for everybody and let me just go through some of the um, things about seasonal depression um let me see seasonal affective disorder or sad is also sometimes called seasonal or winter depression according to american psychiatric association it is recognized in the diagnostic manual of mental excuse me burp too it is recognized in the Diagnostic Manual of Mental Disorders as a major depressive disorder with seasonal pattern. Symptoms typically begin in the fall and winter months and usually get better as the season changes to spring. Some people suffer from SAD in the summer, though it is far less typical. SAD has been linked to a biochemical imbalance in the brain prompted by shorter daylight hours and less sunlight in winter. As seasons change, people experience a shift in their biological internal clock or circadian rhythm that can cause them to be out of step with their daily schedule. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, the conditions, signs, and symptoms include those associated with major depression as well as some that are specific to say. Depression symptoms may include feeling depressed most of the time, losing interest in activities you once enjoyed, changes in appetite or weight, problems with sleep, feeling sluggish or agitated, having low energy, feeling hopeless or worthless, having difficulty concentrating, having frequent thoughts of death or suicide. People with winter pattern sad may also experience oversleeping overeating, especially with cravings for carbohydrates, weight gain, and social withdrawal. But people with SAD may not experience every symptom. January and February are typically the hardest months for those with SAD in the United States, though it can last for about 40% of the year. Those who are more prone to SAD each year could see a more severe form of their symptoms due to the additional stressors everyone is feeling. The pandemic, social unrest, the political climate, not being able to see family over the holidays, etc. Um, yeah, that's just a, a gist of it. And I um, encourage everybody to go look it up. Seasonal depression disorder, SAD, um, seasonal affective disorder just just look it up it's um it's a lot of information on it um i've experienced it um i mean shoot i know a lot of people experience it and don't even recognize it because i can just hear by the way people talk about how they're feeling during the fall and winter months 
Um, but yeah, it, it affects a lot of people. Um, so I encourage everybody to look it up, you know, just to be um, cognizant of the symptoms and stuff. So, you know, if you exhibit any of those symptoms, signs or symptoms or anything, you can um, seek treatment, whatever you need to do. Um, it's definitely something that can rock your um your you know reg your normal <laughs> your normal life or your normal activities and in my experience um oh that's correct about the um oversleeping overeating wanting to eat carbs sugars and stuff like that and the holidays don't help <clears throat> and that's probably one of the reasons why people most people don't recognize it because you and you dealing with thanksgiving um christmas new year's eve and stuff like that so you you typically eating a lot of that type of stuff um and even with like daylight savings time that affects it as well that's why i don't understand why they continue to keep doing uh daylight savings time when they know that taking away that that extra time of light affects people the way it does but you know in my mind, it's for a reason. <laughs> but um, all jokes aside, I've definitely heard a lot of people this year say how the uh, daylight savings has affected them a lot and um, very early. And it has done the same with me as well. You know, the, right now um, I'm on the East Coast in, in uh, Maryland and the sun starts going down around like 4.30 and this is pretty much dark around 5, 5.30 and it almost feels like it's 9 o'clock at night. Um, so it can definitely affect you. Um, and some of the ways that I've uh, counter kind of counteracted the seasonal depression disorder is... Um, working out definitely working out and it, it it can get difficult um like i said because of the the time change and stuff like that but sticking to my workout routine being disciplined on that even when i don't feel like it um meditation changing up my routine definitely um making sure especially now since i'm in the house making sure that i get out the house even if i just you know sitting on my porch for a little while, getting some sun, um, taking vitamin D supplements and um, making sure I eat foods that have vitamin D in it and stuff like that. Uh, trying to, you know, especially now it's, it's difficult, just trying to make sure I, I try to change up the schedule in some way. Like I'll spend like my work, my work time upstairs in my living room on my computer doing my work and then later on at night I'll come downstairs in the basement and you know watch a movie and stuff like that just try to change up the scenery and stuff but just trying to change up your routine in some type of way at least you know a couple of days out of the week and stuff like that getting some type of exercise and, and just going for a walk like before the pandemic like that definitely helped me just going for a walk when I was at work and stuff, when we was actually in the office going for walks and stuff like that. 
doing my after I ate my lunch and stuff, so I went feel that itis, stuff like that. You know, just trying to change up the routine, do do little things and stuff like that. Um, but it definitely is a serious issue with um, seasonal affective disorder, especially now. So just just be aware of your you know your signs and your symptoms, how you're eating, how you're sleeping, how you reacting to people, irritability, anger, stuff like that, um, your moods, and even, you know, um, be aware of your loved ones and stuff, and, you know, just, you know, try to point certain things out to them that you see, you know, just try to do it in a, a loving way, you know, are you okay, you know, you, you don't seem like yourself lately, stuff like that, you know, don't kind of be so aggressive and, and stuff like that, do it in a loving way. Um, but since I have been at home, so, you know, I get a lot of time to watch TV and I watched a lot. I've been watching a lot of shows since February. Um, and recently one of the shows that I've been getting into is, uh, Lucifer on, um, Netflix. And I've always seen the show. It was it started on Fox at first, and now it's on Netflix. And I've never wanted to really watch the show because of the name of it. You know, the name Lucifer gets has a negative um, connotation around it and stuff. And uh, <laughs> but I just been hearing so many people talk about the show Lucifer. It's a good show. It's a good show. So I was like, let me put it on the list and I'll check it out once I get some time. So it's five seasons to it so far, and I'm on season four, and I think I've been watching it for like two weeks. That's how fast I'll be getting through them shows. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's a good show, and I find it interesting for the simple fact, you know, um, I'm not going to go into the whole plot of things, but I just find certain things about the show interesting. One, for the simple fact, the main character, he's Lucifer, and he's really the the devil walking on the earth. And how one of the things that I found like real interesting about it, because I know everybody don't believe in the devil and stuff like that. Um, but one of the things I found real interesting about the show and throughout the whole show, you know, Lucifer has a negative uh, stigma and connotation around who he is and what he's done based off the Bible and stories and stuff like that. And according to him, like, all of that stuff is just, like, totally wrong. Like, of course, you know, his father, God, sent him down to um, to hell because he tried to uh, wage a rebellion against his father. Um, and that's what, that's what he said as well. <laughs> but, you know, we always look at the devil and even on the show they look at the devil the same way that we look at it in the real world as far as the devil comes around here and he he taunts us he does bad things to us he does evil things to us he's just straight up evil but lucifer he doesn't like that because his he says that him being sent to hell is punishment and it's also his job because he explains it that he isn't evil like the world portrays him. He is the punisher of evil. So he punishes people who do evil. He punishes people who do evil in hell. And 
since he's walking on the earth in the show, he punishes those who does evil. And he's on the show, he's a consultant with the LAPD. So he has a partner that he works with. His partner is a, is a woman, and she's a police officer for the detective for the LAPD, and he's a consultant because he has powers to um, get people to tell him their desires so he can, like, coerce people to telling them, you know, if they committed a crime and stuff like that and, and all that. So I thought that was real interesting. And it and it was kind of like, I was like, damn, if, you know, if the devil is really real, that possibly really, that makes more sense than what we have been taught our whole lives with religion. That the devil was just evil, he taunts us and he does bad things and all this other stuff. But it makes more sense for the devil to actually be the punisher of evil as opposed to just messing with people, good people and bad people alike. You know, he's just he just straights up punishes the evil. That's his job. And that's what God sent him to hell to do. I thought that was real interesting. And it just it just it made me look at the whole story of the devil totally different i'm like you know yeah that makes way more sense than what we've been told if the devil is really real <clears throat> excuse me if you really believe in the devil that makes way more sense but it's a good show they got a lot of lessons in it because like even throughout the show you know they talk about how the devil was really an angel and they showed him with his angel wings and they showed him even with his devil wings and I won't go into the story on how on how and why those wings changed, but it makes a lot of sense why at one moment he'll have the angel wings and, and another moment he'll have the devil wings and stuff like that. It's a real good show. Got a lot of good lessons in it and stuff like that about morality, um, love, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it was a real good show. I like I like the show, and it, it makes sense that you know, I'm watching it and I'm gravitating towards it because of, you know, the things that I like to read about, learn about and stuff like that. But it's a real good show. It's entertaining and stuff and it's thought provoking. So, yeah, check that show out. It's real good. But um, what else? Yeah, yesterday I was sitting around and, and I saw on Twitter Littles had posted something about um, my boy Littles had posted something about. Dave Chappelle having a Instagram special on um a special on Instagram. It was 18 minutes long. So I went and checked it out. And if you haven't heard by now, in that um that Instagram special, Dave Chappelle. He talked about how um, he's still not getting paid from the Chappelle show. He was saying how he never really, he never got paid from the Chappelle show and how uh, recently Netflix and HBO Max have started streaming the Chappelle show. And the, the title of the special was called Unforgiven. And he talked about a lot of things other than that. It was a real good special, real good stories in it. Um but 
in that towards the end, that's when he starts talking about the Chappelle show and stuff like that and how Comedy Central and uh, Viacom didn't pay him, you know, doing the show and stuff like that and how they're still getting, you know, making buku money off of it. And he was saying how uh, he went to Netflix and told him how he doesn't feel good about them streaming the Chappelle show because it just popped up on there, like, I think last week or the week before last, and Netflix decided to remove the, the show from their streaming service. And he asked everybody uh, to boycott, you know, his show, to boycott the Chappelle show because until Viacom and Comedy Central pays him. And I was I was surprised that, you know, Netflix took it down but at the same, I was surprised a little bit. I'll say I was surprised a little bit because, you know, in the entertainment business, there's damn near another form of slavery and how they be stealing uh, artists and creatives, uh, intellectual properties and their artistry and stuff like that. But at the same time, I wasn't surprised because Chappelle does have a relationship with Netflix where, you know, he's released a few comedy specials already and they've paid him uh, some good money off of those uh, comedy specials. But I ain't going to lie. I was like, damn, even though I got the DVDs, I got the whole set of DVDs of the Chappelle show, but it was more convenient just to have it on Netflix and start watching it. <laughs> and then I was just and I didn't really get to dive in like I wanted to. I only I have like a few like favorite episodes of you know like the the Prince Jones and the, <laughs> the Prince Jones and the Rick James Jones and and one of my all time favorites was the Joan with uh the what's it called the Mad Real World or the or the Real Real World or something like that <laughs> and went in the pot <laughs> when um Charlie Murphy had stabbed that white dude father he had shanked that white dude father <laughs> 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 oh my goodness man but that says a lot about uh Netflix that they that they did that. I mean, because you don't normally see corporations doing stuff like that. And especially with, like, Netflix being a streaming service and they having a lot of competition now with all these other streaming services just popping up and stuff. And you damn sure know HBO Max ain't taking the Chappelle show off their uh, streaming service. So if it's people out here that haven't heard the, the news or don't care what Dave Chappelle say because he already rich or something like that, you know, HBO still making money off of getting those streams, but that says a lot about Netflix, and I was I was surprised, and I applaud them for that, and I also applaud Dave for actually having the power to ha to get a company to do something like that. You know, I think Dave is one of the, you know best comedians ever, just based off his storytelling and stuff like that, and actually deliver a punchline after the story. And even having the story be thought-provoking at the same time and have a message to it. But, um, yeah, if you haven't heard Boycott the Chappelle Show on um, on Comedy Central when they replay it and all other streaming services who got it. Uh, another thing that 
that popped up has been the Grammys. And this shit is just stupid to me. You know, a lot of artists have been complaining about being snubbed by the Grammys and stuff. And and majority, if not all the artists, I I think it was pretty... Pretty sure it was all all the artists were black artists, R and B, rap, all of that were complaining about not getting uh, nominated and stuff like that. And this goes right back to old conversations that I've had about like civil rights and human rights and stuff like that. We keep trying to beg to be with these people. We keep trying to do that. They so we keep trying to validate ourselves off of recognition from these people. We keep trying to be equal to these people when we know we're not. It's sad. We've had black people have had plenty of award shows just for us. NAACP, uh, Soul Train, BT, and Pete Bamers wouldn't even show up for it and stuff. Wouldn't even participate. They would be so worried about the Grammys, and, but getting snubbed every year. We keep worrying about being validated by people who don't give a fuck by, about us. And they keep showing us time and time again. And this is why I say, this is why I say, like, when it comes to us, black people, we're not going to get nowhere until we get our mental right. We can have all the money in the world because, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about group economics and stuff like that. And that's all good and dandy. But still, if your mental ain't right, it ain't going to matter because everybody going to be for themselves, which it is now. I mean, because it ain't like we ain't got black people who ain't got money. They still ain't going to come together because our mental is stuck in that Willie Willie Lynch (laughs) syndrome. Shit ain't gonna change for us until we get our mental right. It's as simple as that. And that's why I find it hard for that to happen because black people just, some black people just don't wanna admit anything about themselves. <laughs> but I digress. That's all I wanted to say about the Grammys. <sighs> Let me see. Go through this outline. Okay. Yeah. This is something that I thought was interesting that popped up. It was uh, the American Medical Association declares racism as a threat to public health. I found that interesting. But at the same time, um, it'll be interesting of what they're really talking about. Um, because we've heard plenty of people talk about racism before, but they won't directly um talk about the racism against the black community. They'll lump everybody else up into it and won't specifically talk about the black community because we're basic. We're ain't no basically. We're at the bottom of the totem pole, and it's been that way for centuries. But I'm going to go through this, um, throw a little bit of this article in, and read some of the stuff that I that I, uh, out, I highlighted in the article. It says, uh, building on this June pledge to confront systematic racism and police brutality, the AMA has taken action to explicitly recognize racism as a public health threat and detailed a plan to mitigate its effects. 
The AMA recognizes that racism negatively impacts and exacerbates health inequities among historically marginalized communities. Without systemic and structural level change, health inequities will continue to exist and the overall health of the nation will suffer. As physicians and leaders in medicine, we are committed to optimal health for all and are working to ensure all people and communities reach their full health potential. Now, this is why I said it was interesting, because you, you, you see they just they just keeping it very broad and very generic. They're not really being specific about what communities. Declaring racism as an urgent public health threat is a step in the right direction toward advancing um, equity in medicine and public health while creating pathways for truth, healing, and reconciliation. To that end, the AMA House of Delegates adopted new policy to acknowledge that although the primary drivers of racial health inequity are systemic and structural racism, racism and unconscious bias within medical research and healthcare deliver delivery have caused and continue to cause harm to marginalized communities and society as a whole. Recognize racism in its systemic, cultural, interpersonal, and other forms as a serious threat to public health, to the advancement of health equity, and a barrier to appropriate medical care. Support the development of policy to combat racism and its effects. Encourage governmental agencies and non-governmental organizations to increase funding for research into the epidemiology of risk and damages related to racism and how to prevent or repair them. Encourage the development, implementation, and evaluation of undergraduate, graduate, and continuing medical education programs and curriculum that engender greater understanding of the causes, influences, and effects of systemic, cultural, institutional, and interpersonal racism, as well as how to prevent um, and ameliorate the health effects of racism. It says delegates also directed the AMA to identify a set of current best practices for healthcare institutions physician practices and academic medical centers to recognize, address, and mitigate the effects of racism on patients, providers, international medical graduates, and populations. Work to prevent and combat the influences of racism and bias in innovative health technologies. And that was a lot that I read, but I mean, like I already said, they really wasn't specific as far as what communities they were speaking of. Um, but just going off of the black community and the and uh public health, you know, is definitely racism um against us in the systemic area and systematically just for the simple fact that it's hard for us to get health care, especially for black people who are poor and and bad communities and stuff like that and just over the years and the decades and stuff and how they have neglect neglected the fact that black people are genetically etc different than white people and other races and how 
they don't treat us this they don't treat us differently as far as treating our diseases and stuff and focusing on the diseases that affect our community much more and as well as how centuries and decades ago how they always looked at us as animals and said that we felt no pain and experimented on us and stuff like that um but i also think it's interesting that this came out at the time that it did for the simple fact that they're pushing this vaccine but i'm gonna come back to that let me see if it was some more stuff that i highlighted to read um mm. Okay, it says, um, in in an additional move to promote anti-racist practices, the AMA discussed the use of race as a proxy for ancestry, genetics, and biology in medical research and healthcare delivery. (sighs) Excuse me, I'm so sorry. Delegates adopted new policy to recognize that race is a social construct and is distinct from ethnicity, genetic ancestry, or biology. Support ending the practice of using race as a proxy for biology or genetics in medical education, research, and clinical practices. And that's something that's very key for the simple fact that I've discussed it plenty of times on the podcast about all people of color aren't black. You know, all people of color aren't African. All people of color aren't Indian. All people of color aren't Native American. All people of color aren't Hispanic. All people of color aren't Latino. You know what I'm saying? So just because we have the same complexion doesn't mean that we have the same genetics. But the way that this country was built, that they use race as race isn't the ethnicity white and black is not an ethnicity ethnicity and it's not a race that's a color but majority of the people in the united states don't understand that white and black is used as social as it says in the article, social constructs. The social constructs, white and black, are used to define your social status in America. <laughs> it really is. It's because they're, they aren't races or ethnicities. Just like if you want to use the example of the continent Africa. You have white Africans over there. You have black Africans over there. You have Arab Arab people over there in Africa that are considered African. You have Asian people, South Asian people over there in Africa that are considered African. So when it comes down to it, the most important thing isn't D- that's why those DNA tests are BS. The most important thing for for everybody is genealogy genealogy and that's why it's important to know your history your family history to talk to your elders and stuff like that genealogy is way more important than dna um and quote unquote race and ethnicity because it doesn't it doesn't mean anything but that's for another show that'll be going into too much but yeah that's very key that 
what I just read as far as, you know, race being a social construct and how the medical field only looks at it as black and white. Because like I've discussed plenty of times before, you have white Hispanics, you have white Latinos. Shoot, you have the $5 Indians, the $5 Native Americans that are white and aren't really Native Americans. But um, let me see if it's some more. I mean, it's it's a... It's a long article, and it's on the American Medical Association, so if you're interested, go look. It's not that long. It, yeah, it's really not that long, but those are some of the key things that I highlighted through the um, through that article. But like I was saying, it, it kind of makes sense that, you know, this is coming up <laughs> around the same time that they're trying to push the vaccine um, through and a lot of noise has been coming out about you know um the vaccine and who they're going to give the vaccine to first and how uh how it's such a big uh public health emergency and stuff like that like recently uh in new york como he threatened to um to sue the Trump administration to ensure that the vaccine is distributed to black and brown communities. And I can see that, you know, them using the, the declaration from the American Medical Association to push that. And then you have um, reports out that, you know, possibly food stamps, rent assistance and stuff may be withheld if you know, uh, people don't get the COVID-19 vaccination. And who is typically receiving um, rent assistance and food stamps and stuff like that? Impoverished communities, people in impoverished communities, black, brown, and white, you know? It was something else. Okay, this is what it is. It says local and state public health agencies should explore should explore collaboration with interagency and non-government partners to bundle vaccination with other safety net services. For example, the WIC nutrition program serves as a key mechanism for connecting low-income pregnant women with nutrition supports and clinical services and immune immunization screenings and vaccine promotion which are built into the WIC program bundling those services that are already being provided to particular particularly vulnerable populations in the context of covid example older adults low low income adults black and minority communities you see how in in this statement from this from this article usually they don't even they don't even take away black from minority. They just straight have minority. <laughs> but they specifically put in here black and minority communities. It says it could be a way to build trust and streamline vaccine provision. Early rapid response community-based research can help broaden planners' understanding of how the intended beneficiaries of vaccines think about where these products fit into their lives overall based on their own definitions of health and well-being. And that's why I say I'm not surprised that, that that declaration from the American Medical Association came out when it did. When they're trying to push this vaccine, you had a, um, 
you had on CNN recently a White House vaccine uh, chief. It says White House vaccine chief predicts first Americans to receive COVID-19 vaccination as early as December 11th. This was on CNN. And I know uh, Pfizer, Moderma, Modermo, and I forgot the other other medical company. They they're like ready to push the vaccine out there and stuff like that. And it's just crazy. And even outside of that, you have um, recently an Australian airline, Quintus. They're making vaccines mandatory to fly on their airline. And this and this is what I talked about last episode. And you know, this shit is coming. This shit is coming to the point where we're going to be in a position where we're going to have to fight against taking this vaccine and that because they're going to be trying to threaten us with living, having our basic rights based off of whether we got this vaccine or not. And that's, that's not, that's not cool. And I don't know about everybody else, but I know that I'm not interested in taking a vaccine that is, has been done in six months when the normal amount of time for vaccines to go through their uh, protocols or whatever it is is a couple of years. So, and then it's been another um, report out, excuse me, saying that once the vaccine has been made available, you're going to have to get two of them. Excuse me. The first vaccine is going to be like the, the the dose where it actually has the virus in it, a small dose of the virus in it, which all vaccines pretty much have. Vaccines pretty much have whatever um, disease um, they're fighting against in the vaccine. So the first doses will have a small amount of the COVID-19 in it where you might suffer from some of the symptoms and stuff of the COVID-19. Then you come back for a second one later on. I mean, who trying to go through that shit? Shit is crazy, man. It's the world we live in. But what can you do? And I know the Biden administration has been heavily, you know, on top of far as, you know, pushing that vaccine um, out there. So, I mean, and they saying that we going to be first, the black and brown community. <laughs> it's just, man, I don't know what to say. But speaking of the uh, the Biden administration, something that I, that I thought was real uh, telling and interesting was the fact that uh, three MSNBC contributors have left the network to become part of the Biden administration. And what I believe is interesting about that is, is for the simple fact how I've talked about plenty of times how mainstream media has has shaped and has been has played a big role in shaping the way that people voted and how people looked at Trump and how people looked at Biden and how people looked at Kamala and stuff like that. And now you see, I mean, I feel like that's that's telling as hell when you see that actual contributors that worked for a, a liberal, a quote unquote liberal news organization are actually going to be working in Biden's administration. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how much more I need to say there. I know and that's something funny, too. Matter of fact, it 
since I've been talking heavily about the the uh, election and Biden and Kamala and stuff, you know, um, I haven't heard from people. There's certain people I haven't heard from. <laughs> I guess they mad at me. <laughs> Damn. But I mean, this, this is the this is the perils of having your own opinion and being an individual. I guess <laughs> because I'm. I've always known that, you know, I don't like being a follower and I don't like, you know, having the same views as other people. And not just because I don't want to be um, in the in the sheep herd or whatever, but I like to do my own research and make my have my own thoughts about it. And if I agree, I agree. If I don't, I don't. You know, but I, I yeah, it's certain people that I haven't heard from, and there's people that actually have been in my DMs have been trying to go back and forth with me. And there's one thing I won't do: I won't debate. I'll have a conversation, but I won't debate. It's the difference between having a conversation and having a debate. But I digress. So, um, lastly, which is going to be more fuel to the fire of Biden and Kamala is Barack Obama. Recently, he, uh, you know, he released his. His book, um, I don't know the name of it, <laughs> but um, it's something, you know, he released his book, so he went on his tour, his uh, book tour and all that other stuff, his interview tour, and uh, he did a, an interview with, um, what was this, The Atlantic, and he discussed his memoir and the state of American politics, and it says, during the talk, Obama weighed in on the amount of black men who voted for Trump. And the headline from this says, Obama triggers debate after arguing the black male vote increased for Trump because of hip hop. Quote, hypocrite, just like the rest of them. End quote. And I didn't read the article. I read a lot of snippets and stuff like that. And basically, you know, I, I kind of like, I wasn't surprised, and I didn't take it personally or anything, but I just, I, I already discussed this on podcast before. This is how the Democrats do. They will play the black women against the black men. This is the Willie Lynch syndrome, Willie Lynch theory to a T. And I went into I went into depth on plenty of episodes this season, this year. And this is how they play the game. Like I already said on the last episode, 80% of black men voted for Biden and Kamala. Like 18% voted for Trump. So I don't know what the other two did. They either not voted or they voted for the Green Party or something like that. But when Obama was in office, even when he was running, he was talking about hip-hop and all this other stuff. But now he's basically comparing the black men that didn't vote for Biden and Kamala as being, <laughs> as being because of hip-hop. And they voted, well, let me say this, let me rephrase it. They voted for Trump because of hip-hop, because of they like the chains. They like the women and stuff like that. That's what he said. They like the chains. They like the. They like to be flashy. They like the women and stuff like that. But Obama was supposed to be like a big hip hop fan and stuff like that. So this is what I'm telling you right here. See this. This stuff being. They don't even be hiding this stuff. Like it be in plain sight. 
like they they little they shade and stuff like that be in plain sight and people don't even want to hear it. But this is where I'm talking about like they play black men against black women and vice versa. They keep forgetting the fact that black men was the second largest had the second largest voter percentage to black women for Biden and Harris. He ain't say nothing about the uh, Latino Hispanic community, the LGBTQK or the LGBTQT community. He ain't say nothing about the white community or nothing. You know, he they focus directly on the black community, the black men. And this is what I'm talking about with as far as they don't care about they don't care about us, even though they know that we need their vote, but they know they got it, and they will play us regardless. <laughs> it's like the they try to. It's like he tried to put a guilty, guilty complex on black men or whatever, and he trying to he pointed it out because he know black women love him, and so there's just a, a bigger another reason to have a divide between us. It's it's crazy, man. I just don't understand how people don't see it. So today he did an interview on The Breakfast Club. And I'm going to play that interview. Let me get everything set up. It's like it's four minutes. And the question was what did um, it says, what did President Obama do for black people? And this is from The Breakfast Club, DJ Envy, uh, Charlemagne the God, Angela Yee. And I'm going to play it. Here go to clip. With, with reading this book and, and all that you did for every community, including our own community, right. how, how do you take it when you hear, especially African Americans and minorities, say that you know, they feel that President Barack didn't do enough right. for minorities, or didn't do enough for black people? Black right? people. You know, what, what are your thoughts on that? You know what? I, I understand it. Because when I, when I got elected, there was so much excitement and hope. And I also think that we generally view the presidency as almost like a monarchy in the sense of well, once the president's there, he can just do what, whatever needs to get done. And if he's not doing it, then it must be because he didn't want to do it. Well, we see it with Trump, so, so he does what he wants to do, so people assume. Well, <laughs> right, because he breaks laws. Right. <laughs> and, or, 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 or disregards the Constitution. But, but the, look, I think that anybody who goes into public life, they need to understand that, yeah, you're going to get criticized, because that's just the nature of it. If you don't want that, then you shouldn't be in that business. Um, the good news for me was that I was very confident in what I had done for black folks because I had the statistics to prove it, right? So by the time I left office, you had seen uh, three million African Americans have health care that didn't have it before. You had seen uh, the incarceration rate, the number of black f folks in prison, drop for the first time in years. You had seen the juvenile correction system, 30% fewer people in there. You had seen uh, uh, black poverty drop to its lowest level since 1968. 
you had seen black businesses rise. You had seen black income go up. So, so I could just look at the data and I could say millions of black folks were better off at the time I left office than when I came in. And, you know, the, what I have to accept, and I think what any president has to accept, is the fact that, okay, so I got 20 million people health care, but there's still 10 million out there who don't have health care because Republicans blocked me from doing everything I wanted to do with Obamacare. I can understand why they would be upset. How come things didn't change? Well, I, th I think people um, want to know, like, what did you do specifically for black people? Not the rising tide lifts all boats types of rhetoric. We all know black people's boat got a hold. Specifically. So the systemic and things that we do black people to well, put no, us Charlemagne in. Well, no, pretty much. Specific systemic things to get us out. So well, but, what, but what, what did you do what, in that what, what I'm saying, Charlemagne, is black poverty And I was, Charlemagne pretty much tests everybody that they interview in the breakfast club, but I'm so glad that he, he asked that. But I'm going to let it continue. Faster than everybody else. Black incomes went up more than a lot of other folks. So, you know, the issue is sometimes we just didn't go around advertising that because, once again, the goal here is to build coalitions where everybody is getting something so that they all feel like they've got a stake in it. Um, but a lot of my policies were targeted towards people most in need. Those folks are disproportionately African-American. Now, the truth of the matter is, Charlemagne, at, at, a, at the end of the day, um, there is no way in eight years to make up for 200 years. Absolutely. And that was the end of that the <clears throat> the clip. So I mean like I'm pretty sure now I found that clip on um Instagram on the Breakfast Club page and and I went through the comments to see what people were saying and Majority of people were saying, yeah, he ain't do shit for black people. You know, you have people doing, um, on there that was defending Obama and was saying how, you know, he he did, didn't you hear what he said, you know, incarceration and all that other stuff and black businesses and stuff like that. But like Charlemagne said, what specifically did, was done for black people, for the black community? And it was nothing. And this is this has been the whole debate for a lot of people, even with um, Biden and Kamala, and this is why I was saying, like, even just going back to the public health stuff when I was talking about race and stuff, race, ethnicity, and stuff like that. And even when I was talking about Kamala and how, like, I feel like it's disrespectful that the Democrats and her are using the the platform of her being a black woman and stuff, and she's not, she doesn't identify as a black woman. But she only does it when it's convenient and stuff like that. Like, and how I talked about um, she didn't have a, a black experience. And, like, Obama didn't have a black experience as well. You know, these are, even though they have, 
even though you have like Obama, his, his dad was African, and you have Kamala, her father was Jamaican or whatever. Those they still was from another country, you know. They didn't. Their parents didn't even have the black experience, so it was like, how can they really identify with us? It's almost like it's almost like they. This just the, it's, it's like the game that the Democrats play. Is like they think that by saying that, you know, well, we put this policy in place and it have been it benefited blacks so much. That's called trickle down politics. That isn't something that is specifically for the black community. That is trickle down politics, and the Democrats always use that as their defense for what they did for the black community. Something that is specific something that is specifically labeled as trickle-down politics. They put a policy in place, and it benefited us, but it benefited everybody else. What specifically have you done for the black community? You know, the Democrats lately have done a lot for other communities besides the black community. They've done, every, they done a lot of stuff for the Latino and Hispanic community. They've done a lot for the LGBTQ community. But they haven't done anything for the black community, specifically for the black community. And like he talked about, you know, black people's income going up and stuff like that. I'm only one person. But like I said on the last episode, I lost my job when Obama was in office. When Trump was in office, I started making the most money I ever made. And it's, and like I said, I'm only one person, so you can't really just base that off of me. But I'm just saying, every they, it's to the point where Democrats, Obama, Biden, Kamala, the people who are like the the faces of the Democratic Party right now, basically telling us um, what we need, as opposed to asking us what we want and what we need. And that's disrespectful. That's disrespectful to to the community. That's disrespectful to our race to basically sit here telling us what we need as opposed to actually asking us. But that's and on that point right there, that's that's really not all on them. That's that's on us. Because we would sit here, like I've said plenty of times before, we would give them our vote before we demand anything. We start demanding stuff after we gave them our vote and when they don't have to do shit for us. We need to start demanding the things that we want before we give them our vote. That's where the political power comes from. But, I mean, only God, only God knows what's going to happen. Only God knows what's going to happen on <laughs> with everything that's going on with the COVID-19, with the with the steel election going on because it ain't finalized. The uh, electoral college hasn't come together yet. It's still going on, even though um, a lot of Trump's uh, lawsuits have been dismissed. The electoral college hasn't come together yet, and uh, Biden ain't in in the office yet. Um, we don't know what's gonna happen. Continue happening. <laughs> Excuse me with racism. Excuse me, with black people getting killed, you know, it's like all the things I talked about is like, is a lot, a lot of the stuff that I talked about is is kind of out of our control. 
we can only focus on the things that we have control on. You have the Grammys and you have the black artists complaining about it. The thing that they have control over, they, black artists, musicians and stuff have the power. You know, black music, black culture is pop culture. We don't have to be worrying about no damn Grammys. We can go do our own thing. With politics, we get together, we demand our vote. We demand what we want before we give them our vote. Sorry. With this COVID-19 shit, we come together and and fight against them trying to push this in our community. With with all of that, you know, I mean, we have the power over the things that we can't control. Everything goes as like, you know, only God only knows what's going to happen, you know. But we got to be thankful for everything that's that's going on. We got to be, you know, I don't know. <laughs> like at times I get stumped. I be like real passionate, real got the fire going, you know. I'm a Sagittarius. Got that fire pumping up in me. But then you got the, the rest of my my uh, natal chart and you got a lot of uh, earth placements in it and I'm real nonchalant and real just reserved and stuff like that. So it's it's the weirdest thing. I got that duality going on with me. I'm real fiery, but at the same time, I'm real nonchalant and stuff. But I don't know. At times, I feel like, you know, it's going to change. And at times, I'll be like, damn, I don't know. Because our community, we just all over the place. We all over the place with race and ethnicity, if we African, if we... Uh, Native American, Indigenous, Aborigine, um, money, um, trying to be equal to the white people, not getting together to build a community and stuff like that. We just all over the place. <laughs> I mean, I just don't know what to say. But genuinely, I'm an optimist. That's part of my Sagittarius nature. I'm an optimist, so I feel like we all going to get it together. But, um, you know, we just need more people to step up and, you know, think for themselves and fight against the system. But this was actually a quick episode, even though I had a lot of stuff on the uh, outline. I didn't really go through too much. But I hope everybody has a great, Thanksgiving, great holidays, and I hope, you know, if you're not able to get with your family, you at least get to speak to them and stuff like that. Make sure um, you look up the stuff about seasonal affective disorder, seasonal depression, and, you know, check in with yourself, check in with your, your friends, family, all your loved ones. Be safe during the holidays. Just be safe, period, with all the COVID stuff. Be safe traveling. Um, shout out again to my boy uh, Littles, a.k.a. Rodney. <laughs> His birthday tomorrow, November 26th. Um, hit him up if you follow him on social media and stuff like that. Um, shout out to me again. My birthday coming up, November 30th. Um, yeah. <laughs> In my midlife crisis mode. <laughs> But uh, I end off every show with a song. Once again, make sure you uh, 
Check me out on social media. Um, subscribe, like, follow, all that good stuff. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, Spotify, Stitcher. And if you want to donate to the podcast or even donate to my birthday so I can have a taste, my cash app is RIP81, R-I-P-8-1. Yes. Now, let me find a song to end the podcast with. I was pre-gaming the Kendrick Lamar before I... um. I started a podcast, so I'm gonna just hit shuffle and whatever comes up is gonna play. Let's go. Pew pew! Hooray! Pew pew! Hooray! Hooray! Pew pew! Get you eyes this, drugs gon' get you eyes this, fame gon' get you eyes this, chains gon' get you eyes this, juice gon' get you eyes this, crew gon' get you eyes this, hate gon' get you eyes this. Never take, never take, never take, never take. Uh. Love gon' get you eyes this, drugs gon' get you eyes this, fame gon' get you eyes this, chains gon' get you eyes this, juice gon' get you eyes this. Levitate, 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 levitate. Life won't get you high like this here, no. He won't get you high like this here, no. She won't get you high like this here, no. For free won't get you high like this here, no. Two keys won't get you high, no, no, no. Bentley's won't get you high like, no. Levitate, 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 levitate. Life won't get you high, no, no, no. He won't get you high, no, no, no. She won't get you high, no, no, no. For free won't get you high, no, no, no. Two keys won't get you high, no, no, no. Big leaves won't get you high, no, no, no. Bars won't get you high, no, no, no. Levitate, 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 levitate. Shut your fucking mouth and get some cash, you bitch. You, you be in your feelings, I be in my bag, you bitch. Santa reindeer better have some ass, you bitch. Everything I'm working got Shut your fucking mouth and get some cash, you bitch You be in your feelings, I be in my bag, you bitch Santa reindeer better have some ass, you bitch Everything I'm working gotta be the Levitate, levitate, levitate We don't want problem, we don't want problem We don't want trick, we don't want trick We do want dollars, we do want dollars We want it big we don't want problem. We don't want trick. We don't want trick. We don't want dollars. We don't want trick. Levitate, 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 levitate. We don't want problem. We don't want problem. We don't want trick. We don't want trick. We don't want dollars. We don't want dollars. We do it big. We don't want problem. We do it big. We don't want problem. We do it big. We don't want trick. We don't want problem. We don't want problem. Levitate, 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 levitate. Feel like Pacino and Godfather, I'm charged I'm father to ride in heaven, Kendrick at large Came in the game with a plan of beating the odds 
What an accomplishment Broken promises kept my focus anonymous Till I dealt with the consequence The greatest, the latest mogul, you know what time it is You niggas fear me like y'all fear God You sound frantic, I hear panic in your voice Just know the mechanics and making your choice and writing your bars Before you poke out your chest, loosen your bra Before you step out of line and dance with the star I could never end a career if it never start the murderous capital avenues looking like evil dead Zombies with batteries to the head The flattery of watching my stock rise The salary, the compensation triple my cock size I run through these stop signs with no brake fluid Just premium gas, do it for dolo Crash markets and prejudice tags, look at my photo Black excellence, pessimists die counting my coin Hope it's evident that I inspired A thousand MCs to do better I blue cheddar on youth centers Builders and beamers in blue leather Forecasting my future, this is the future The mastermind until my next album, more power to ya Take a second to the podcast Google Play, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher Check out on Process Knowledge Podcast Check out Separate the Two Podcast. Check out Three Stars, Two Bars Podcast. Once again, Unproductive and Unapologetic Podcast. Once again, have a happy Thanksgiving. This is your boy, Derek Silver, a.k.a. Rip Hundy Ripper. I'm out. See it, look, 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 go back to the download. They all sing this shit. Everybody.